I have pen fed, that's a fact. I have pen fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, figgins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. For the eighth time, I am not Joe Flacco. This is not Joe Flacco, the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We are talking about Bill O'Brien's ca- catastrophic run as Texans, Texans general manager. And also, who's better, Larry Fitzgerald or Calvin Johnson? Thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, follow. And now a message from our sponsors. Episode 8 of Nacho Flack of the Podcast is brought to you by the Witness Protection Program. I will need to go into the Witness Protection Program after you listen to my second segment. Thanks for listening. So we start with Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans. And I think the best way to start with this is to just read the... When you Google Bill Bill O'Brien, I'm just going to read you the headlines of the top stories. Brandon Cook's trade continues Bill O'Brien's awful offseason. O'Brien's squarely on hot seat after questionable moves. Is there anything more Bill O'Brien can do to destroy the Houston Texans? That's the top three. Uh, Bill O'Brien gets roasted by media for Cook's trade. Bill O'Brien on hot seat with Texans. Texans need to fire Bill O'Brien before he does anything else. Terry Bradshaw. Jesus fucking Christ. Terry, Terry Bradshaw is barely sentient. Blast Bill O'Brien for Hopkins trade. Stephen A. Smith goes on epic Bill O'Brien Texans rant. Bill O'Brien's employment with Texans is officially on the clock. Brandon Cooks trades. Bill O'Brien loses another one. Rams do all right. That's just the first page of Google. I'm. Do I venture to the second page of Google? I don't think I've ever been to the second page of Google in my life. Brandon Cooks trade. Too little too late for Bill O'Brien to salvage offseason. Fans roasted Bill O'Brien after Texans' latest trade. Trader Bill, a timeline of Texans trades under GM Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien's attempt to spin DeAndre Hopkins' trade is not going well. Texans coach and GM Bill O'Brien defends trade of DeAndre Hopkins. And on and on and fucking on. You wouldn't know it from old Jack Wad's headlines. But he's not the worst coach in the NFL. He may be the worst GM in the NFL. He might not be the worst coach in the NFL. Surprisingly to me, he's only had one losing season. This isn't a guy who can't coach. 
He's not particularly good. But it's not that he can't coach. But somebody needs to fucking take the take his phone away. Somebody needs to take away. So he needs to be fired as the GM. And if that means he's got a dip as coach too, then so be it. Because, I mean, he is 2-4 and four in the playoffs. He's never had a top 10 offense in either yards or points. And this is an offensive coach. For all you Tom Brady haters out there, if you want, you, you may not want to hear this, but Bill O'Brien was Tom Brady's offensive coordinator. Brady had a remarkable season. They were second in yards, third in points. And Bill O'Brien's never been that, been as low as, see, 13th in yards and 11th in points. So think about that before you call Brady a system quarterback. Bill O'Brien is an average coach and possibly the worst GM in the in the recent history of football. And there's guys like Brian Grigson who have ran Andrew Luck out of the league. There are some terrible GMs out there. But nobody consistent, consistently gives up more and gets less back in trades than Bill O'Brien. And it's not, you can't always get equal value. That's not what we're looking for here. Because anytime you're giving up DeAndre Hopkins or Jadavion Clowney, you're not going to get a guy back of equal value. And the parts that you get back aren't going to be significant either. They're, they might be good, and they might be nice role players, but, I mean, Clowney was a first overall pick. DeAndre Hopkins is a top five wide receiver in football, without a question. And so to have given those players up, you'd think you'd at least get back some first-round picks. But no, Hop, uh, Bill has actually given up two firsts, two seconds, a third, one-fourth, and a sixth. And the picks he's gotten back, even though he's given up the best players in every trade, the picks he's gotten back are one second, a third, three-fourths, and a sixth. So somehow, he's both given up the best picks in these trades. Now, he's gotten Tunsil back and, you know, Brandon Cooks back. So that mitigates things. But he's giving up more for Laramie Tunsil types than he's getting back for DeAndre Hopkins or Jadavion Clowney. And I know that there's, you know, there's the whole no top five paid receiver has except for Tyreek Hill, has ever been to the blah, 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 blah. And that's and, and, and the, the argument there is that you don't have to pay wide receivers in order to make it to the Super Bowl. 
the Niners didn't really have anybody that, you know, certainly not a top five receiver. The argument against the Niners taking a, a you know, a wide receiver at 13 is that eventually if you, if you, if you get it right, he's going to need to be paid. And that's a too big a hit on your, on your, on your cap. And so if you're practicing good cap management and you're saying, okay, one, you don't do it with defensive end. You pay your fucking defensive ends. You pay the guys that can get to the passer. And there's only a few of them. There's only a few guys that consistently get to the passer. And you you're, you risk it with those guys. You take the risk on paying those guys. What you don't risk is paying a running back who hasn't had a who hasn't averaged four yards a carry in two, three, four seasons. Because the Texans took a wide receiver making twelve million dollars this year and traded him for a running back making twelve million dollars this season. Think about that. With all the numbers and all the research and everything else out there about how little value running backs have and how little they should be paid, I'm of the argument that you should never sign a running back to a contract longer than two years, $10 million guaranteed. The Niners just went to the Super Bowl with three running backs that totaled less in salary than David Johnson will make this year. It is not necessary for a good team to have a, high, a, a, a great single running back. And even if you do, you, you should be, shouldn't be paying them anything because you can find somebody comparable somewhere else. And I like David Johnson. I think he's very underrated. I do think he's got more left in the tank. I, the last year is the thing that is, is most confusing to me because it, it, was, it should have been a good offense and he should have been able to do what Kenyon Drake did. So I don't know what happened there. But going back to but who you pay. So if you don't want to pay the wide receiver because you're in this kind of uh, galaxy-brained cap management state and, you're, and you're, you're smarter than everybody, you're like, wide receivers just aren't worth the money. Well, what fucking position is? Because if wide receivers aren't worth it, and defensive ends aren't worth it, but running backs are, you're backwards to the rest of the league in the in the wrong way to be backwards to the rest of the league. It's one thing to be a run-first team when everybody else is, is not used to tackling and they're in their nickel defense all the time. It's another thing to be a, a speedy linebacker uh, team when everybody else is you know, uh, running the ball. There's there's ways to be, to go against the grain. But not paying your top five receiver, not paying your, your number one overall pick defensive end, giving up firsts and seconds, and getting back maybe a top 10 tackle, a wide receiver who is, consi- whose, whose middle name is, or whose last name is, Brandon Cooks down on the field. And then David Johnson, who, for whatever reason, hasn't been good in three years. And then you've got the throw-ins like Kenny Stills and 
you know, the seconds, the thirds, and the other picks. But the value here is mind-boggling. There's just there's not enough, there's too much going out and not enough coming in. And somehow, because I think because the Texans, you know, the owner died a few years ago, and I and Bill O'Brien has just kind of elevated himself within the organization to the point where it feels like Bill O'Brien looked around and was just like, well, guys, I think I deserve a promotion. And there was nobody else in the room, and so he just said, yep, sounds good. I'm the GM now. And he's ruining this franchise, murdering it. Some would even make a meme about this week. So Texans fans, all six of you, I'm not, I'm not convinced there's actually Texans fans. I'm not convinced. I think you're just Cowboys fans that live too far from Dallas. I'm sorry for what the six of you are going through right now. Because it doesn't have to be this way. This is a talented roster. You've got a you've got a dynamic young quarterback. You had a top five receiver in the league. And you swapped that out for you've got two guys at wide receiver now between Fuller and Cooks. How many times are they going to be on the field at the same time? What's the likelihood? I would take a bet that they combine for less than 20 games this season. But he's not a bad, he's not the worst coach. He's a very middle-of-the-road coach. He's not going to, and listen, he's not going to take you to the Super Bowl. This is not, and this isn't like an Andy Reid thing where he just kind of like bad with clock. It's like, he just doesn't, his offense isn't great. You know, is, there's there's no indication he he knows defense enough to impact that. Uh, his, his personnel management is awful. There's nothing that, He's there's nothing that he brings that's a positive other than he's the only guy there and seems to be the only guy. You know, it's like 90% of life is just showing up. Bill O'Brien's just showing up. Bill O'Brien is the reason that you should ask for a raise or a promotion at every possible opportunity because you don't always know how desperate the, the manager above you is. And Bill O'Brien's that guy. He's the guy when the new hires come in and go, oh, fuck, who the fuck is that guy? Why is he making this much money? And again, going back to the backwards-ass way that they've constructed this, they're they're trying to get the salary cap thing right, and that's their argument for trading Clowney and trading Hopkins. They, They wanted too much money. Well, then you give a running back $12 million. You, you trade for a running back. Not only you give up a pick to get a running back that's making $12 million on a team that was probably going to cut him because they already had the guy that was better. But you wanted to beat the rest of the league to David Johnson's $12 million salary? Whatever. I mean, trading a wide receiver making $12 million a year for a running back making $12 million a year is the the single most 1994 shit I've ever seen. And it should be unforgivable. Should be fireable. But the thing that's probably keeping his job at this point is that league is shut down. How are you going to interview a fucking coach? Put a staff together. 
Like we're they're they're, they're gonna do the draft over fucking Zoom. Now Deshaun Watson basically has to win the MVP this year for for Bill O'Brien, I think, to keep his job. Deshaun Watson has to win the MVP, and they've got to win a couple playoff games for Bill O'Brien to, to keep both of his jobs. Because there's no way, like, after all of this, and he, listen, he's probably not going to have, I mean, he traded his best player on offense. He's, I can assure you, they're not going to have a top 10 offense this year if they've never done it before. He's not going to have a top 10 offense. They're not going to win many playoff games, if any. And on top of that, they don't have first-round draft pick next year, I don't think. So, Texans fans, all six of you, my apologies. I wish the best for you. I know one of them. Personally, I've met him. I think he even has a jersey. All right, guys. Good luck. And now we get to who's better, where we take two players and compare their career or their future to figure out scientifically, based on a panel of experts that is just me, who is the better player. All right, so let's dive into who's better, Larry Fitzgerald or Calvin Johnson, Megatron. I'm, uh, I'll lay out their stats first. And then we'll kind of get into the, the more subjective stuff. Larry Fitzgerald, 846 receptions, 11,367 yards, 87 touchdowns. Calvin Johnson, 731 receptions, so 115 less. Did have more yards, 11,619 and 83 touchdowns. So a few, a few less touchdowns, but also, again, you know, 115 less catches. Calvin averaged 15.89 yards per catch. Larry Fitzgerald only 13.44. And and that's through their age 30 season. So if we're going to compare apples to apples, Calvin Johnson retired at 30, ostensibly because the Lions were fucking terrible. (laughs) They were so bad that uh, he didn't want to go through football anymore. And I'm not sure I can blame him. And I'm sure there's some people out there that would have thought Larry might have pulled this as well, given uh, some of the quarterbacks that he's had throwing the ball to him. But a uh, um, you know he he certainly didn't have um, certainly uh, you know the Cardinals as dysfunctional as an organization as, as they've been historically still had some peaks in there. Went to a Super Bowl and uh, once you know won some playoff games, won some divisions, and uh, certainly not as bad an organization as the Lions. Where, so at this point, I'm taking Calvin Johnson. I I think he was more disruptive, more dynamic, didn't catch as many balls, but still outgained Larry in terms of yards. And it was was closer than I thought it was. Now, the Larry defenders of which I've heard from on other posts because I, uh, you know, admittedly not as high on Larry's career on the full career as I am on his up to age 30 season up to age 30. 
and really it's 29, but up to age 30, Larry Fitzgerald was headed for certainly my top five or top 10 wide receivers ever. I mean, the, the yardage numbers for the top five guys, yards through age 30, Randy Moss, Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, Antonio Brown. Jerry Rice is seventh. But after the age 29 season is where we start to have issues. And, and there isn't as much to talk about here with Calvin because there isn't. There's only one after 29 season. But with Larry Fitzgerald, we've got, you know, seven or eight now to look at. And that's where career-wise the things start to come off the rails for me. And so this is because the argument invariably about, you know, between Calvin and, and Larry Fitzgerald, invariably it goes to, okay, Calvin might have been better, but Larry had the better career. And I'm not sure that you want Larry's career at wide receiver. And and I'll I'll break this out for you. So from age 29 on, so this is uh, Larry Fitzgerald's 2012, every, from 2012 to 2019. So from the time Larry Fitzgerald turned 29. Um, there have been 14 players that fit Larry's profile. And, oh, sorry, hold on. There have been eight players that fit Larry's profile at the wide receiver position. And those players are Jarvis. So the, the criteria I set up was 2012 to 2019, minimum of 2,000 yards receiving, and a max of 11 yards per reception. Because Larry Fitzgerald is only at 10.9 yards per reception. It's that low. So here are the players that fit Fitzgerald's profile since 2012. Jarvis Landry, Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, Cole Beasley, Adam Humphreys, Wes Welker, and Tavon Austin. Do you know what all of those players, except for Larry Fitzgerald, have in common? Other than, and and don't say they're white, because we've got Jarvis Landry and Tavon Austin in there. None of them are six feet fucking tall. Larry Fitzgerald on this list is the only receiver over six feet tall with a yards per reception under 11. Since 2012. And I said, okay. So if we just, if we opened it up a little bit, let's look at the guys that are over six feet tall that fall into that category. So I included tight ends. Well, guess what? Over six feet tall, played wide receiver or tight end. And again, 2,000 yards, minimum 11, maximum 11 yards per reception. Fitzgerald, Zach Ertz, Jason Witten, Kyle Rudolph, Martellus Bennis, Charles Clay, Jordan Reed, Ben Watson, Jermaine Gresham, Heath Miller, Jack Doyle, Julius Thomas, Lance Kendrick, Austin Hooper. Larry Fitzgerald has been a very good tight end since 2012. Not great. You don't hear Gronk on that list, or Kelsey, or Kittle. Um, you don't hear those guys on the, on this list. He's been a very good tight end since 2012. And so I'll circle back to Calvin Johnson, because I think if not for the Lions, Calvin Johnson would have maybe not played as long, 
but certainly would have stayed in the wide receiver numbers. Because up to 20, remember, up to age 29, Fitzgerald was averaging 13 yards a catch. Well, he's dropped down under 11. Let's say that, uh, uh, we call it a 20% drop. It's not, but call it a 20% drop. Maybe it is a 20% drop. If Calvin Johnson had a 20% drop, he still would have been at 13, which is where Larry was when he was 28. There's a, this is a difference in, it's a difference in talent and a difference in, in being able to impact the game. And Larry Fitzgerald, since he turned... So the argument for me that Larry Fitzgerald's had the better career, I don't buy it because he hasn't maintained the the numbers that he... that Even close to the numbers or in, even close to the impact that he had up to age 30. Whereas the all-time great receivers, the ones that have played past 30 anyways, for the most part have been able to maintain most of their old glory. I mean, T.O. was having, you know, it's everything 14, 15 yards to carry, age 38 on the Bengals. Jerry Rice was having 1,000-yard seasons at 39, 40, and 41 with the Raiders. So, again, I would take Calvin, and I would dismiss the argument that Larry's had the better career. I would say that Larry's had a longer career, uh, a glorious career. Um, but I think that Larry has gotten the benefit of the doubt a few times. I mean, he made the Pro Bowl at age 29 with only 798 receiving yards. He made the Pro Bowl the following year and four touchdowns. He made the Pro Bowl the following year at age 30 with only 954 yards. Now, that year he actually caught 10 touchdowns. So Larry hasn't been overlooked in this either. He's been given the been given the glory. He's been treated like one of the best receivers in football without it being statistically there. And like I said, he's basically been a very tall Julian Edelman, who's not a Hall of Famer, by the way, or a skinny tight end for the last seven years, eight years. So don't get too caught up in in uh, this is why I don't get as caught up in Fitzgerald's career stats. I mean, he's playing in the easiest era it's ever been to to play receiver. And sure he doesn't have he hasn't always had the quarterbacks, but he's played with a Hall of Famer with Kurt Warner. He's played with number 1 overall draft picks like Carson Palmer. He got 7 8 good years from those two guys which is more than a lot of people got. I mean, look at the look at the quarterbacks that Tim Brown had. For Christ's sakes. Tim Brown never played with a Hall of Famer. And put up had an amazing career despite it. And wasn't a diva. You know, didn't even have the personality issues that come from, you know, Ocho Cinco or TO or any of these other things. But somehow he gets forgotten in all of this. So uh, to wrap this up, this kind of turned into a Larry Fitzgerald segment. 
mostly because the 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 numbers were so close for Calvin and, and Larry early, but I'll give the nod. I always like yards per catch uh, for the receivers, I, and and Calvin was elite in that regard. Um, he had had more yards total, um, and I think while it's pretty close, that I would I would give the nod to to Calvin, but I would also again I would also ask you to take a second look at the back half of Larry's career and say, okay, he's been a stat accumulator. He's been an accumulator. He hasn't been dynamic since, you know, he's 28. So, uh, anyways, thanks for listening. If you've made it this far, I appreciate it. I hope you liked what I had to say. If you didn't like it, I hope you come back next week and hear more of the stupid shit that comes out of my mouth. Thanks for listening. Go ahead, like, subscribe, review, whatever you got to do. Help me get that podcast clout. Thanks, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.